Welcome to GovIT, a monthly podcast series from TD Synex Public Sector, where we discuss the next generation of public sector IT solutions with the technology innovators driving the change. I'm your host, Tom Temin. Each month, we explore a different technology, what it is, and how it can help public sector organizations achieve their modernization goals and accomplish their missions. In this episode, we sit down with Chris Roberts, the Federal Technology Director for Quest Software, to discuss the risk and success factors of federal data usage. Chris, let's talk about the federal data strategy. This has been around for some years now, and it is trying to encourage agencies to accelerate the access of data, federal data sets, to use these data sets from across the government. We've seen some success, a lot of challenges yet. In your opinion, what has to happen next to keep this data strategy moving? Sure. I think the first thing to keep in mind is that uh, the federal data strategy was focused on really not just accessibility, but also the customer experience. So you, you make the rounds in Washington today, you'll hear a CIO at the CIO talking about customer experience. And that's both the federal user as well as the citizen user as well. And to create those kinds of experiential use cases for the best use case for, the, for that data, you got to figure out exactly one, what kind of data do you have? Is it applicable to the actual user? Have you classified that data? So for instance, a lot of the government databases today, so think our social security system, the defense systems, there's lots of PII data across all those different platforms. And of course, there's classified information. So exactly, do you know what type of data you have and who should have access to it? And then you've got to figure out exactly, well, how do I provide sort of what we call role-based access? And that falls into that zero trust set of principles in that framework, where if I'm a end user citizen, for instance, and I just want to know, for instance, you know, where I go vote, for instance, where do I register to vote? Well, that's that's publicly available information, but it's also based on where I live, you know, and all those types of information. So I need to be, be able to basically provide that level of data, provide that level of access based on who I am and where I am in the country. So those are some of the challenges. These are not insurmountable, but they do create enough of a headache for application designers and architects where it does slow down the deployment of a data strategy or data access to the nation as a whole. And for a variety of technical reasons, we find that agencies are placing databases sometimes at the edge in edge computing complexes of their networks and not necessarily just in the cloud or in a data center. What are the risks here that they face with data at the edge and accessible from maybe different means? Edge computing is a term coined by, of course, hardware manufacturers and, of course, telecom providers because it means that you have to deploy more hardware and software. But the edge computing has existed for as long as we've had a network or the ability to connect over a wire. So, for instance, in the old days, the AT&T phone you rented from the company in your house that was an edge device. Today, edge devices we take for granted. The ATM is the ultimate edge device. That is, it has to work all the time. It has to provide its level of service. Whether or not it's a connection, it's still got to present an interface. It has to validate the actual card that's been inserted. It's there. And then it has to connect to some other device to validate how much money I have in my account before it actually dispenses physical funds to me. So edge devices are everywhere. The trouble with edge devices is that they're no longer in a controlled central location. It used to be a data center was a place that I can I could put a wall around or moat if I wanted to, barbed wire fences and dogs and everything. But now an edge device could be my it could be my mobile phone, an ATM, a gas pump, but more importantly, you see more and more companies have actual edge devices in servers at locations around the world. So a lot of companies, AT&T included, Verizon, a bunch of other instances, have put data centers or co-location facilities where you can have these sort of edge services available. And this is important because 
when I use my mobile device, I can't go back to a central server or database all the time. AWS, for instance, has zones. Azure has different data centers across the country. And they give us the ability to replicate data, encrypt that data from end to end. So when I'm using my device for my BOIOD, bring your own device type of model, I now have the ability to have data available on that device, as well as on that device have a container where the, that information is actually encrypted based on who I am. So your work phone, I have a container for work files and I have a container for personal files. And that's really what edge computing boils down to is how can I control data once it gets beyond my data center so I can protect that information so it'll, it's used by the right people at the right place at the right time. All right. So therefore, we have federal data in a lot of places. It's in silos. It's in legacy data centers, which agencies still operate. Mm -hmm. It's in the servers we've been talking about, some of these edge servers or a mission-specific type of server. And of course, in the cloud, which can also be a mission-specific server, but just a virtual copy of it, if you will. So for chief data officers and the data architects, how can they make sure that access is open and can scale to reach all of these different places, depending on, I guess, what the application needs? At the end of the day, when you provide data to an end user via an application interface, there are two things that that are really you're really beholden to. One is the usability of the application itself, but the application itself and the UI, the UX design is just one other part of the problem. The other part is the network itself. So when I am providing a data set, presenting a data set, if I need that application to access reams of data to present a customer experience as usable for someone on the edge device, for instance, that they're using, that's not very intelligent. So I have to build much more intelligent applications that use very sophisticated and intelligent replication schemes to move data back and forth across the network at different stages where it needs to be. So if you're a database administrator or an application designer, for instance, you may use things like replication, straight up replication like we used in the old days, or you may use more modern techniques like sharding where you have different types of data in different points within the database to make it available. But also a lot of the new open source technologies from a lot of the platform vendors that use NoSQL, for instance, or based on Apache Spark, allow you to create sort of really scalable applications to push them out across the network. Also keep in mind that there are companies solely dedicated to this. Snowflake is an example of that. Microsoft has updated Azure SQL to be a lot more scalable at the edge to make this these types of applications available, as well as um, AWS Dynamo. But these options are important, especially from the larger vendors, because they offer a tremendous scale out capability as well as a scale up capability. All those things are nice, but at the end of the day, to create an open accessible system, you still fall back on good old zero trust. So when I build an application, my API, for instance, typically may just use a hard-coded credential. And ironically, there was a report done, 40,000 different applications that were in the app stores, I won't mention which ones, but there are only two that really matter, um, had hard-coded AWS credentials within the application itself. Because why? They want to make it easier from a customer experience standpoint to get access to that data. No one wants to go through two-factor authentication in the middle of an application or, for instance, looking at your bank balance. You just want to present it and get the information. So Zero Trust still applies if you're going to make that information available across all these different silos. It makes it easier because I don't have to migrate everything. I can keep everything where it is but provide access to its root source of the data before the end user actually gets access to it. Staying on top of all this, zero trust and access to data in multiple places and multiple instances, somehow this sounds like a job for artificial intelligence, at least to come to the help here. And lots of vendors tout AI, machine learning. What's the reality, do you think, of the current state of AI and ML solutions? Sure, I mean, this, this is a fascinating space. And 
artificial intelligence or what more practitioners sometimes call algorithmic intelligence or in the old days we called it very very sophisticated branch can branch programming it relies on data now more than ever because you just can't account for all the different variables so what artificial intelligence does is uses lots of unstructured data as well as structured data to figure out exactly what's the best use case or what's the best classification for a set of variables in the world of machine learning itself, it depends on us providing data that's been transformed. That is, it's in some sort of normalized format where machines can make use of it. So for instance, logs are have been around forever. Every system puts out a log. So we have something called syslog, um, you have Splunk, you have different companies. That's a normalized set of data that's available to broad ranges of applications. But to take advantage of machine learning, I need to now apply that same sort of standardized format to everything from not just social security numbers or PII data, for instance, but also, let's say, analytics or the weather, for instance. How do you predict the weather? So all those different variables coming together mean that I now have to store them in something what we call a data lake. And a data lake is a vast database of unstructured information versus what we used to have in the older data warehouses where everything was in a SQL table. It had structured rows and, and we knew it understood exactly what every field length was. In a data lake, it's here's everything we know about a particular subject, and we train the algorithm to go after that data. So for agencies to create smart applications, whether it's for security, whether it's for customer experience, for instance, or, or just getting better insights out of public data, you have to have something like a data lake, and you have to have tools that allow you to basically extract that data from all the different sources that we have, those silos we talked about earlier, and dumping it into the data lake, creating access, basically, and then building your machine models on top of that. So just saying your application has machine learning or it has AI, that's cute, but do you have the access to the data that will actually allow your application to make very intelligent decisions? Look, data is critical if any agency wants to achieve their managed outcomes for the pressing missions that they have today. So just getting a hold of these different solutions, getting a hold of the ability to control data, the access to data, for instance, and pushing out to the edge and managing it effectively is going to be very important for them to be successful in the years ahead. Plenty of questions, some great answers. Chris Roberts is Federal Technology Director at Quest Public Sector. As always, good to have you with us. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. For more information on Quest and examining the federal data strategy, please visit questpublicsector.com. You've been listening to GovIT from TD Synex Public Sector. We'll be back soon with more public sector IT content. I'm Tom Temin.